Okay, if you've been with us previously, we know we're in a study about <clears throat> grown-up prayers. <clears throat> probably all of us pray. Um, some of you probably started praying as a child or a small child. I didn't, but uh, if you did, um, have your prayers changed any? I mean, everything else in your life has changed. You've grown up in other ways. Hopefully, your prayer life has also grown up. So we studied the Lord's Prayer the last three weeks. We're going to kind of t- try and tie it all together today. Title this teaching is Help Me See. And I want to start with a observation about human nature. This is not a religious thing. This is just a human nature thing. And we'll put it on the screen. It just is. It's our human nature to resist things that we can't control or don't understand. All of us have a worldview. It's our way that we understand the world, <laughs> um, make sense of the world. If you're a Jesus follower, it's, it's through that lens. If you're not a Jesus follower, you have some other lens. And so we all make sense of the world through that whatever lens we have. Now, all of us are different. So we all have different lenses that we use. And that's what makes sense to us. So anything else is what? Not going to make sense. So I'm going to resist something that doesn't make sense to me for something that does. It's just natural for us. And so this can be generational. I got to thinking we were raising our kids and we had certain rules, for example. If you live in our house, for example, and the boys when they got to be teenagers, it talks about piercings and tats. All right? We said... You live on your own, you do what you want, as long as you live in our house. Now, now that, that's not part of our upbringing, but it might be part of theirs. Uh, but that was just one of our rules. And so, growing up, we all face this when we become maybe a teenager, and we start getting different ideas from our parents. And then there becomes conflict, right? Especially if you become a young adult. And you, get, you, you learn other things, you experience other things, and you, meet other people, and you go different places, and read different things, and you start your mind, change your worldview. It looks a little bit different. Hopefully, it looks a little more mature as you get older, right? As you grow up. So, our tendency is, though, to resist whatever is new or different than what we hold to believe or to understand. So, that's why as Jesus followers, it's difficult to talk to people that aren't Jesus followers, and vice versa. It's difficult for them sometimes to talk to us. One great advantage of traveling the world or going outside the United States, if you have, or even traveling around the United States, is this. You meet people with different world views. One example I thought was funny. We are missionaries in Portugal in the 80s. Ronald Reagan was president, and he was a pretty popular president, if you were back, remember back then. So we go to Portugal, and we see these anti-Reagan signs. <laughs> and we just... Thought it was strange because most people in the United States liked Reagan, but the people in Portugal didn't. And so you begin to understand people in different parts of the world see the world differently. And so we are limited by our preconceptions, our prejudices, our worldview, if you will. So, consequently, it's going to affect the way we pray. Now, One thing you and I can learn from our prayers is this, how we view or see God. 
So I asked the question, what, what, is, what does it tell us? <laughs> what does the way we pray say about our view of God? <clears throat> is it different than we were when we were a child? I uh, stepped on a little bit, a couple toes this morning when I mentioned this in the first service, but if you tend to be a worrier, you know what that tells me about your God? That your God is little God. People that worry, and I worry too, when we worry, we're trying to help God out. We think we'll get a better outcome by worrying. And so we've shrunk God down whenever we do that. And I mentioned for some of us, uh, our prayers boil down to be a conscience cleaner. You know, I feel bad about stuff I've done. I confess it to you, God. You're going to forgive me, so now I can feel better about myself. What does that tell you about your God? about your view of God. Well, your view of God is just somebody that doesn't care what you do. You're just going to let you forgive you anyway. doesn't really matter. Now, we've mentioned in this study, what is the purpose of prayer? Is it to inform God, clean your conscience, or inform God that God doesn't know? Again, that determines your view of God. He doesn't know it, so you have to tell him. So, Jesus came along, and he was praying, and the disciples said, he, you, you pray different than what we pray. <laughs> And so he, they asked him to teach him to pray, and he said, okay, pray like this. But the bottom line of prayer, or the purpose of prayer was this. The purpose of prayer is to align or realign our wills with God's will. Basic purpose of prayer. Not to inform God, not to con- clear your conscience, but to align my will with God's will. So if God's will is for me to go over here, and I'm going this way, I'm going to go over here. A line. And the, the verse from the prayer that says it basically is this. It's verse, uh, I can't read. <laughs> what is it? Verse 10. Part of the Lord's prayer is, may your kingdom, God, your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it already is done in heaven. And we talk about that as surrender. I have to give up my will for God's will. Uh, how did the lady in the, on the video say it? She um, gave God a blank check. I thought, that's pretty cool. She wrote God a blank check, and he said, okay, I'd like you to go to Denver. I don't know where she was from, but she went to Denver. So that's the basic purpose of prayer. Align my will with God's will. Now, it makes sense. If God's will is perfect, why would I want something else, Right? So we're going to be looking at uh, different things in Scripture. Some people have Bibles. Most of it's going to be in Luke chapter 18. Uh, we're going to look at three different stories in Luke chapter 18. But this is from John 14. This is Jesus teaching to his disciples the last night of his life here on earth. All right? So he's crammed a lot of stuff in there. You can read it in John 13, 14, 15, 16, those chapters. John 14, if you remember, starts with, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. If it weren't I saw, I would have told you. And Philip evidently has got a little frustrated with Jesus' teaching style. <laughs> he would tell stories and use uh, allegories and, and other th- parables and other things. And so Jesus is talking and Philip kind of interrupts and said, Okay, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Just, just make it simple and plain and just tell us like it is, all right? So he said, I've been with you all this time. And Jesus saying to Philip, 
and yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? All right. So Philip's saying, okay, just, just tell us what the Father's like. And Jesus said, Philip, don't you understand? Want to know what God is like? Look at me. If you want to know what God is like, look at the life of Jesus. So none of us have seen God. He's kind of incomprehensible. But I can understand Jesus. And for Philip, he actually got to see him and actually live with him. And then Jesus said, just follow me because you're following me. You're following God, right? Now, anytime you follow Jesus, it requires change. Let me say that again. Anytime you and I follow Jesus, it requires change. And what did we say at the beginning? What do we, you and I, how do we feel about change? We don't like change. Our human nature is resistant. What we don't understand is different. What we understand, we already, already believe and follow. And stuff we can't control. And there's all kinds of examples. Remember Judas, one of the 12 disciples. And he got so tired of Jesus not fitting into his understanding of what Jesus was going to be like, the Messiah, he tried to force his hand. And it resulted in his election, uh, um, arrest and eventually his execution, which we're going to talk about next week. Um, but it actually was what was Jesus came to do anyway. And Peter, he was like one of the top three of the 12 disciples. And that same night, what did, you, what did Peter do? He, he denied him three times. So, we're going to look at chap- a couple of things in chapter eight, Luke 18. And at one point, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this, Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem. All right? That was where Jesus was headed for the last time. Where, when we get there, all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. Or at least the predictions about his first coming. And then Jesus says what they are. Now, you and I reading this, is it ambiguous? Is it hard to understand? Confusing? Let me read the next verse to you, the next two verses. Here's what Jesus said to them. He, meaning himself, be handed over to the Romans or the Gentiles, non-Jewish people. He'll be mocked, treated shamefully, spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. Now, is that ambiguous? Is that confusing? (laughs) Seems pretty easy to understand for us, right? uh, But, uh, a tremendous but, big but, the third day he will rise again. So, why follow someone who's going to be executed? Kind of hard to get past the execution part to the rise the third day part. But here's what Luke's uh, telling of the story tells us. <laughs> they didn't understand any of that. Now, why did they not understand any of it? Jesus has made it as clear as possible, right? Well, because of their preconceived ideas and prejudices. The Messiah, that doesn't happen to the Messiah. We believed in a Messiah, so basically they didn't hear it because it was outside of their 
worldview, if you will. The problem is this, I'm putting it on your outline. They couldn't see it. They couldn't understand it because they thought they already knew. They thought, what was always going to happen with Jesus? I mean, it's happened over and over again with the disciples. One time, remember, two of the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Hey, Jesus, when you set up your kingdom, we want to be number two and number three in your cabinet, so to speak. And Jesus said, you don't understand. My kingdom is not about this earth, etc., etc. What he did say on that last night, John chapter 13, he said, I'm going to give you a kind of bullet all down to one thing, all right? And we use this passage often. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Now that part wasn't new. The new part was this, just as I have loved you, you should or must love each other. Why is it so important? Because your love for one another will prove to the world you're my disciples, that you're a Jesus follower. So, the world's going to know you're a Jesus follower, not because, maybe because you came to church this morning, <laughs> but because of your love for one another. Now, the church didn't get this very well, even for the first 20 years after Jesus' resurrection. Basically, uh, Christianity was a sect of Judaism, and most Christians were Jews. And then a guy by the name of Paul came along, and he took Jesus' words uh, to heart, and he went around to Romans or non-Jews and, and started churches. But Jesus said, go into all the world. But they had, the first 20 years, they didn't even do that. Now, I'm doing a little confessing this morning. <laughs> it's a little uncomfortable sometimes. <clears throat> but um, when I look back at my ministry, or you look at back at your life, there were times when I was wrong. Now, it's especially difficult for me because I got up front of a group of people and said something or taught something that I know better now that I shouldn't have said. I shouldn't have taught. I don't believe that's true now. Let me ask all of you. Have any of you have 100% perfect theology? Perfect understanding of God. Anybody? And what he's doing in the world? See, none of us do, right? So, it's funny, the older I get, it seems like the more I realize I don't know. Hopefully I know more, but also there's more I don't know. And I think it's a critical part of our theology, if you will, of our prayer life, if we're praying. One of my wife's favorite verses comes from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And it gives us interesting three components of what God requires of us. The Lord told me what is good, and this is what is, He requires of you, to do what is right. That makes sense, right? To love mercy. And what I really want to dwell down, uh, drill down on is the third thing, to walk humbly with your God. What does that mean, to walk humbly with your God? What does that look like? And I thought probably the best answer to that is what Jesus said in John chapter 6. For I, Jesus, have come down from heaven to do the will of God. To do the will of God who sent me, not what? My own will. So, what is walking humbly with, humbly with your God? 
It's saying, your will, not mine, be done. <clears throat> Jesus was often misunderstood. I'm going to use a couple of examples again from chapter 18 of Luke. <clears throat> One time this religious leader came to him. Uh, some translations say a rich, rich young ruler. And asked Jesus a question. This is in Luke 18. Uh, what verse is that? Uh, 18. 18, 18. And he came to Jesus and said, uh, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Good question, right? Good question. And Jesus rattles off like five of the top ten, ten commandments. And the guy's response is, ah, No problem. I, I do that. I keep all those. Now, is that true? Had he kept those ten, five of those Ten Commandments? Of course not. Of course not. Did Jesus say, hey, no, no, you're lying to me? No, Jesus didn't say that to him. What was Jesus' response to him? He said, uh, skipping down to verse 22, Jesus says to him, after he heard his answer, there's still one thing you haven't done. Okay, maybe you're, you've, you've kept all the Ten Commandments. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you. Sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Eternal life is treasures in heaven. And then come follow me. Literally follow him. Not like you and I follow him, but literally. And the text goes on and said, the man away, went away very sad. Sad because he wasn't able to do what was required to have eternal life. He misunderstood. He thought keeping those rules was, would be sufficient. Another time, Jesus went to a, <laughs> uh, have a meal with the Pharisees. Named by his name of Simon. This is also in Luke. <clears throat> uh, I can bring the text up. I can't, can't read it. It's in Luke chapter 7. That's right. Early in his ministry. When the Pharisees had invited him, saw what was happening. What was happening? Well, this immoral woman came in and she was crying and tears went down on Jesus' feet and she was rinsing, uh, wiping off his feet with her hair and uh, pretty uh, emotional uh, scene uh, event. Um, but Simon, like all Pharisees, had built in preconceived ideas about his world, his worldview, um, prophets, you can use the word prophets, of God. And so after he saw this, he made this judgment of Jesus. He said, if this man was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him, and a prophet wouldn't let a sinful woman touch them because, they, you know, their cooties would spread, up, spread to them. So um, she's a sinner, and so can't, he can't be a prophet. Well, obviously wrong, right? But Simon, all the Pharisees, or basically all the Pharisees, had a preconceived idea what the Messiah was going to look like, what he was going to do. And just like us, if it doesn't fit into our mold, into our box, we tend not to understand it, believe it, or accept it. So, what I've kind of determined from all this is that humility is required to change. I have to realize that I was wrong. I didn't know it all. There's something I don't understand. 
That's required for me to change. Otherwise, I just cross my arm and refuse to listen or to change. So what was different about this woman? Well, she saw Jesus as he really was. <laughs> and more women saw Jesus as he really was. The religious guys couldn't get it. She wasn't limited by our preconceived ideas. So what's Jesus do? Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Now, how'd that go over with the Pharisee guys? <laughs> the men at the table said among themselves, who is this guy? Who is this man? Goes around forgiving sins. Only God can forgive sins. He's not God. So, wait a minute, wait a minute. We know he was God, right? But the question you and I, all of us have to answer is this. Who is it, Jesus? Who is Jesus? Was he just a good teacher, which is kind of a strange. Most people say he's a good teacher, but don't believe in him. Well, he said I, he was God, so how can, you, how can you believe anything else he said? Um, who is he? Now, a little bit more confession. <laughs> when I look back at my life, especially my early ministry, I'm what I'm going to label a legalist. A legalist is I had God in a box. I had the list of do's and a list of don'ts. And the better I did the do's and don'ts, the better I felt about myself. And consequently, I then judged other people if they didn't fit into my box. All right? And consequently, I already told you I taught things that I'm embarrassed to, to, to admit I taught now, even though I thought I was teaching truth back then. So I came across this analogy or illustration. Hopefully, it'll help you. It helped me understand this. I had built what you might call a temple. Now, a temple, it was a physical structure like this made out of, you know, materials that it wasn't going to move. <clears throat> it wasn't going to change. It, the problem with a temple is it's stuck, right? <laughs> you can't move it. Etc. So when I was stuck in my worldview, if you will, in my theology, the problem with, with, with that was this. My temple, my box, my worldview empowered me to do a couple things, again, that I'm embarrassed to admit, to ignore, to judge, and to mistreat the temple, quote-unquote, beside me. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. So once I had my box and my theology lined up, uh, next slide, please. Um, yeah, if you didn't fit in my box, I could ignore you. Uh, worse, I could judge you. Even worse, I could mistreat you because you didn't fit into my temple or my box. So, my goal now, hopefully I'm older and wiser, <clears throat> I assume I have more to learn every day. In fact, I, I, I carry it out. I try and learn something about health every day, either diet or exercise. I try and learn things, spiritual things every day. I try and I, I read things about marriage, try and read my marriage just about every day. Uh, lifetime learner. That's my goal. And it takes humility because when I learn something, I have to sometimes unlearn something. And none of us like to unlearn things, do we? So the analogy goes this way, that instead of a temple that is unchangeable, unmovable, even though 
The God is, God's not changeable. I need to build a tabernacle. Remember tabernacle from the Old Testament? The Israelites were running around the desert and they wanted to have a place to meet God. So they had a tent and the tent moved with them. Now the God inside the tent was the same God inside the temple. God didn't change. But the tabernacle was movable. So I put on your outline this. Tabernacles are better than temples. Tabernacles are changeable, movable, uh, humble enough to admit when we are wrong. So back to Luke chapter 18. <clears throat> Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. Remember, I told us he's going to be, be tortured and executed. And he approaches Jericho. Um, a couple years ago, we were there. Jericho is about 20 miles from Jerusalem. The problem is Jerusalem straight up from Jericho. So it's quite a climb. But that's where he is. He's not too far from Jerusalem, but he's got a hard climb ahead of him. And so the story goes this way. A blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of the crowd going past, he asked what was happening. Now, if I'm blind and I hear all this commotion, I'm going to say, hey, somebody tell me what's going on. What's all the commotion? They told him or somebody told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. Now, evidently, he had heard of this Jesus guy. And he heard he'd done some, done some miraculous things. In fact, he healed people. So, if you're the man beside the, beside the road and Jesus is going by, what are you going to do? If you're blind. Probably exactly the same thing this guy did. So he began shouting. Of course, nobody's going to pay attention to you if you're a blind man sitting inside the road unless you start shouting. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, which means Messiah, have mercy on me. Now, this guy was kind of at the bottom rung of the social ladder. So what are more important people going to say to him? Shut up. Be quiet. Jesus is an important person. You're not important. Don't bother him. So be quiet. People in front yelled at him. But how did he respond? How would you respond? This is maybe your one and only chance for healing. He said, even louder, son of David, have mercy on me. Please do anything you can to help me. Now, how did Jesus respond? Now, most of us would probably just ignore this guy, right? Just keep on going. I'm too important. Not Jesus. He never thought he was too important for anybody. So when Jesus heard him, he stopped. He stopped. He ordered the man brought to him. I'm assuming because he couldn't get to him. <clears throat> and the man came near. Jesus asked him a really important question. What do you want me to do for you? Now, we're thinking... Jesus, that's pretty obvious, I think. So, he knew. So why did he ask the question? Well, the guy, I think, needed to voice it, but I think it's for you and I today. What do you want Jesus to do for you right now? Heal a relationship, heal a marriage, Take care of a physical issue, work issue. Um, what is it? What is it you want Jesus to do for you? <laughs> and the guy answers the way we would expect him to answer. Uh, 
I want to see. <laughs> I want to see. Next verse, please. Lord, I want to see. So that brings up another question for you and I. Do you and I, you and I want to see? Do we want to have our preconceived ideas challenged or changed? Next slide, please. Do you want to see? Truth is, most of us don't. Most of us like being the way we are. So he says to the guy, okay, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And I think I'm going to do a series on faith after Easter. <laughs> Instantly, the man could see and follow Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it, praise God too. So what's the alternative? To seeing is what? Not seeing. Problem is when you don't see, what do you do? You miss something on your outline. If we're not willing to see what Jesus has for us or Jesus will for us, we're going to miss Jesus. So again, what is the purpose of prayer? To align my will with God's will. To align my theology, my box, whatever it is. So I'm going to give you a suggested prayer. Heavenly Father, allow me to say, see the way you see. See people the way you see. See the world the way you see, etc. And give me the courage to respond in the way you want me to. So that's the alternative. Well, the alternative is not to see, right? And so I'll just quickly, and we'll be finished here soon. Uh, what are some things that keep us in the dark? I'll give you three biggies. One is our past. All of us are products of our past, all of our experience. And the problem is with that, it's sometimes baggage we carry, and it limits our view, right? And so we've got to get past our past, if you will. Personality is another one. A uh, lot of aspects to personality. I'll just pick one. <clears throat> Let me ask a question. How many of you that are married or engaged, one of you is an introvert and the other is an extrovert? Okay, so you'll understand this one. Especially back when you got married or started dating, whatever. Introverts don't understand extroverts. And extroverts don't understand introverts. It's even worse than that. Introverts think they're superior to extroverts, and extroverts think they're superior to introverts. All right? And so, especially in marriage, you've got to learn what? Introverts aren't better than extroverts, or vice versa. They're just different. And so you have to be able to see. And of course, there's all kind of aspects to personality. Another thing that blinds us is prejudice. When I, we were writing this out, typing this out, my wife was saying her dad was prejudiced against black people. He was brought up in Louisiana in, I guess, the 40s and 50s. And so... <laughs> Most people in his culture would have been prejudiced. So my wife's made this their goal her entire life not to be prejudiced against black people. So these are things that can keep us from seeing. That's not all the things, but they're just some of the things. So on your outline, it's imperative. It's critical. For those of you who are Jesus followers, and if you're not, we're, we're delighted you're, you're listening and watching, to see clearly why is it important for us to see clearly? So that we can love well. Because remember Jesus boiled it down to loving one another? So the only way I can do that is if I 
love well. When I saw, didn't understand my extroverted wife, it made it harder for me to love her and vice versa. So again, what did we start off with? It's human nature to what? Resist things we can't control or don't understand. Makes us uncomfortable. So one last thing when we finish. Jesus said this. You're truly my disciples if. If what? If you remain faithful to my teachings, okay, and then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Oh, I like that, right? I like to be set free. Free from what? Well, free from maybe being blinded. Free from, next slide please. Free from not understanding people. Free from prejudices and miscomprehensions. So, question, do you want to see? Do you want to see? That's my uh, challenge for you this week. Here's a suggested prayer or something in this form. Heavenly Father, I want to see. Help me see beyond my past, my personality, and my prejudice. Let me pray with you. Father God, thank you that you want us to see outside our box, outside our prejudices, outside our personalities, outside our theology. Uh, God, let us be humble enough to to admit we're wrong and desire to learn and to change. Anyone that's not a Jesus follower, we encourage you today that biggest of changes, accepting God's gift of salvation and entering a personal relationship with God, that you'll be set free. We pray that prayer for you and for the rest of us that we will be set free. In Jesus' name, amen.